Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Wednesday. It's April 12th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll take your calls around 1030 and 1115 today. 602-260-1060. Plenty of NBA well, I guess you have uh, announced that we can't call it playoff games. We have to call them play-in games. However, somebody should have told... announced it. But they somebody should have told yes, that to uh, Kevin Harlan, who was going on and on about how the uh, Lakers okay. haven't had a home playoff game in forever since like 2018, the first of LeBron's time here in a Laker uniform. And then I remember thinking to myself, well, it's just the play-in round. So, anyway... He must have been the only guy that didn't get the memo because you I mean the NBA the uh, NBA TV I mean they they made a big deal how it's not a playoff round and it's the play-in tournament and la di da and uh, and actually they mentioned that in the first the first game but I think uh, yeah they were kind of a little more sarcastic about it <laughs> so. Fair so enough. There's some kind of there's got to be some kind of memo out there from the NBA. Yes, I need to know what I'm supposed to be saying. Like how you know Florida Atlantic University made this huge statement. It has Correct. to be Florida Atlantic, not FAU. So I know what I'm doing here. All right. Their so- president said that, and then they're like for two weeks after he said that, these people still called FAU. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we got play-in games to discuss. We have play-off games to discuss. We also have some NFL news, some Arizona Cardinals topics. But let's set the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll get things started with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Uh, is the Lakers' fortunate overtime win on Tuesday night a bad sign moving forward? Harrison Fagan of Silver Screen and Roll joined Bob in the previous hour, and if you missed that conversation, which was a great conversation, you can pop podcast over at kdos1060.com with the kdos 1060 app or on apple or spotify and the answer to the questions here yes leading the way at 57 percent of the vote no trailing at 43 percent yeah obviously last night the lakers escape in overtime and harrison uh, did he agree with me that escape is the right word uh and they did escape and uh, obviously uh, we knew that gobert wasn't going to play uh, we didn't realize that uh, you know some of the wolves on the floor weren't going to play. Uh, you know, you know, Anthony Edwards was terrible uh, last night, and you would think if if you told me or anybody told anybody uh, that they're going to get into overtime in that game and you know, he's going to be the three for seventeen, uh, nobody would have believed that. But uh, and Carl, Carl Anthony Towns was great. Then he committed two of the dumbest fouls in the history of basketball. Well, one of them, his fourth foul was actually should have been a charging foul on LeBron. 
but you know his his you know really his third and fifth fouls were just below bad basketball IQ plays. Yes, that fifth foul was just really head scratching, especially knowing you had four fouls and how important you were to the team, and then you go and do something silly like that. So we'll get into that much more as we uh, break down that game, and we'll talk about that moving forward. But the Twitter poll question at KDOS AM 1060: More play in games tonight. So who do you have in New Orleans? Numbers coming to you from the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Thunder plus five and a half. Pelicans minus five and a half. And the masses undecided. It's a 50-50 split. I understand that. Uh, I'm looking forward to this game for sure. And I do have an opinion on this game. So I'll hold off on that. Fair enough. Uh, as I mentioned, your calls, 1030, 1115, the number 602, 260, 1060. But first, before we get heavy into hoops, we have to talk about the Arizona Cardinals as they started their offseason strength and conditioning program yesterday, all voluntary, of course. Kyler Murray, he was in the building, but rehabbing his ACL surgery and not with the team for their specific workouts. DeAndre Hopkins was not in the building. He did release his own video and picture on Instagram of him doing some ab workouts and uh yeah those were some intense ab workouts anyway uh head coach I missed that but that's just for teams that are interested in trading for him yes uh you know hey we can actually try those ab workouts and we can see how well we do <laughs> you gotta be kidding I, I would be the last thing I ever did <laughs> head coach John, Jonathan Gannon uh was asked about DeAndre Hopkins his quote We'll see. I've been in communication with D-Hop. I want to do what's best for him and us. And at the same time, when he's ready to come, he'll come and improve his game too. So not really sure what else he's supposed to say here, but I think it's pretty clear that uh, there will be some sort of arrangement made. Maybe we'll be waiting until actual draft day before Hopkins is moved, though. Right. I mean, he's not going to – he's played his final game, had his last practice with the Cardinals, etc., uh, so we'll see. Uh, he was in Houston. Uh, I guess that's where that video was apparently was shot. So we'll see. But this is the this is the right thing to do. You can't have him, you know, being injured during a voluntary off-season conditioning workout uh, before you're going to try to trade him. And obviously, you know, I think the Cardinals have already learned that the trade value for Hopkins is not particularly high right now, considering the contract and age 31. And he's had some injury and other history here lately, too. You know, I think we obviously are seeing the trade value not as high as maybe they were hoping for. And, uh, you know, the different reports coming out that the Cardinals unwilling to kind of back off of of the demands in return and other teams not willing to come up for those demands. I, I guess for me, it is a little bit interesting just because at least the sentiment of this overall wide receiver draft class that I'm not really sure you're able to get a number one wide receiver out of this draft class. And so maybe that just really shows that Hopkins, at least what the opinion is across the league is not a number one wide receiver right now. Yeah. um, Certainly not worth paying up for a number one wide receiver. I think there's just too many issues and I'm going to give field Yates a little pop here because was it like two months ago? that he said that they're not going to get anything more than a third-round pick for him. I'm paraphrasing what he said at that time. But uh, he seemed to be way ahead of the game as far as uh, the Hopkins trade value stories. 
Zach Ertz, he's also rehabbing his ACL injury. Uh, he met the media yesterday. He hopes to be ready to go for week one. That would require him to be able to participate in training camp at some point. Uh, a quote from him, I'm really happy with where I'm at. A little over four and a half months post-op, so right now in that transition phase, to get on the grass and start running more. It's interesting because, obviously, I think we both were very excited for the trade that they made for Zach Ertz and how he could really help this team and what he provides to the tight end position. Now, obviously, you hope that he's back healthy and, and able to be the Zach Ertz that we've known. But just overall, with where the state of the Cardinals team is at, I, I don't have... I don't know what he's coming back for, I guess. You know, he's obviously coming back because he loves the game and plays it. But in terms of being excited for his production value, I'm just like, well, I hope he has a good season. I will say one thing is that, you know, normally, um, you know, the Cliff Kingsbury offense, you know, tight end was not the featured receiver. Um, there were a featured receiver, quite frankly. Uh, and I'm not 100% sure what the design of the new Cardinals' offense is going to be, but it would seem to be likely that the tight end is going to be more of a top option than it was during the Kingsbury era. Uh, also, Ertz, I guess he is also taking on kind of a veteran role with how long he's been in the league now at this point. But he was asked about the NFLPA report card of the team. We know that most of the findings were in the F category for the Arizona Cardinals. So Zach Ertz was asked about it. Here's what he had to say. Quote, but I can see firsthand that there have been improvements already. This place screams of so much potential, and it's up to everyone in the building to maximize that. So we'll see, obviously, how uh, those sorts of things unfold. And then he did kind of go on to say that there maybe it was um, a little bit was made of it too much with this report card. Yeah, I kind of believe what he said. I'm kind of on that. Uh, I'm not there, but I'm kind of on that side of uh, thinking, too. I uh, will also say that I'm guessing that he's going to be the spokesperson for a lot of things because how many guys are actually on this roster that the media knows really well? That's a really good point. Um, uh, Kyler? We're not going to him for a talk, any kind of information or any kind of opinion. So, uh, you know, God bless him, but uh, his next opinion uh, can kind of be his first opinion as far as uh, answering a question like that. So the other thing that's currently happening with the Arizona Cardinals is uh, the filing that Terry McDonough made uh, in a grievance that the NFL will have to make a decision about whether or not they're going to go to arbitration. But more has come out in regards to this situation uh, between Michael Bidwell, Terry McDonough. Pro Football Talk obtained a letter by former Cardinals executive VP and COO Ron Miniger that was given to Bidwell hmm. back in December of 2019. Um, plenty of things were stated in this letter, but one of the things Things that was said was, quote, you are not the guy I met back in 2000. Uh, this is Minigert telling this to Bidwell. You were not the guy that I met back in 2000. You used to smile and laugh a lot. You used to be fun to be around. You were excited about the future and what it would mean for our organization. You worked your butt off and started to see the fruits of your labor. Uh, he continues to go on with, I acknowledge that you had to deal with a lot of uh, issues this past year, but you come to work angry every day. You talk down to almost 
trust everyone. You've become arrogant and condescending. You need credit for everything when things are going well and are quick to point the finger at everyone else when you are struggling. So this was obtained by Pro Football Network. Bidwell's attorney, Jim McCarthy, uh, quoted some statements from Miniger from back in 2022, which was expressing his apologies for his own attitude and his own behavior. Miniger then told Pro Football Talk that he's disappointed that those quotes were used uh, in this dispute between Bidwell and McDonough. And he's also saddened that the excerpts that were taken from this uh, are, are being used in the way that they were because he, quote, I stand by the statements I made in my December 2019 letter and am willing to discuss the involved with the involved parties as part of the NFL's arbitration process. Of course, Jonathan Gannon, current head coach, was asked about this yesterday. His quote, my sole focus is on improving our team right now. That's a distraction, but that's no, not going to take away from my focus. Any outside noise like that, I'm worried about the players right now. Yeah, I'm going to kind of maintain my stand here. I have no, obviously, inside knowledge about any of this, so hopefully – uh, the NFL will rule quickly and uh, it won't be like uh, you know the Washington situation which has been going on for seeming like half a decade now and I'm not exaggerating about the half decade thing no it's definitely been going on for quite some time and one of the main things that they're currently working on is definitely back from 2019 so it, it's certainly been taking a while we don't know the findings yet from that Mary Jo White investigation so we'll see how this all unfolds and how uh, it's interesting that these things are being kind of unfolded so far through statements uh, from attorneys and, and in former letters as well get back to what's currently happening with the Cardinals and team roster construction the third overall pick it's something that uh you know we, we've talked a little bit about so far whether or not we're on the side of of trading that pick because there's plenty of holes to be able to fill on this roster and how uh that's one way to go about rebuilding and retooling is to get more draft picks and use that third overall selection that could be coveted by many uh gannon was asked about the third overall pick uh we've talked about the pros and cons of that and i feel very confident with a couple of different plans that he's laid forth he is referring to Monty Ossifort and I'm behind him 100% and I know he's going to do whatever he can in his role to help our group win he also added that he's okay with moving down in the draft yeah this got some play on Sports Center yesterday uh, it was kind of uh, you know combined with uh, Mel Kuyper's latest mock draft was revealed yesterday on ESPN and Kuyper wisely had the uh, Cardinals dealing the third pick of the draft all the way down to number 12 with the Titans. And with the 12th pick, you know, Kuiper had the Cardinals selecting uh, Texas Tech edge rusher Tyreek Wilson. Uh, Tyree Wilson, who would be, certainly that would fill one of the Cardinals' many uh, positional needs at this point. Gannon was also asked about the quarterback situation. Obviously, Kyler Murray is rehabbing the ACL. We had heard uh, that Colt McCoy was also dealing with some undisclosed situation, and then they did re-sign David Blau. Uh, Gannon said, Colt, I think he's doing great. Happy where Kyler's at. David as well. Like where that room is at and where they're going. A follow-up question was asked if there's going to be a competition between Colt and David. Gannon said, quote, everything is a competition. There's a competition between David Blau and Colt McCoy? Really? Um, if they're both healthy and playing, there should never be a competition between those two guys. 
I find it to just be coach speak, right? That nothing is given. Everything Hopefully. is a competition. And, uh, you know, you have to earn it, right? That's that's what the phrase is. You would still think, though, that you know, McCoy's been around forever. And, uh, you know, you would maybe think that some, at least some coaches would say, okay, he's been around for a really long time. We know what we have. Something like that. You know what? I kind of, I kind of like your way of thinking on that. I was Thank trying you. to play devil's advocate with, you know, that's what every coach says. Things are competition, but I. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And I think that was probably the case yesterday, but it would be, uh, there's some coaches that would have just said, hey, the dude's got, you know, years of experience. He's, he's got the edge there. I like that. Much better from you. Uh, We will step aside here for a second on Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. And when we come back, we'll turn our attention to the NBA and the play-in games that took place from last night. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you on this Wednesday, April 12th. SB Nation Radio is now Sports Map Radio, keeping sports content fresh and fun. Join us right here on KDUS AM 1060. Here on KDOS AM 1060 on this April 12th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Let's dive into some NBA action. The games from last night and the Hawks stomped on the Heat 116 to 105. The Heat led 2-0 to start the game and they never led again. Trey Young 25 points, 8 of 18, 1 of 8 from 3, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. Clint Capella, only 4 points, but a beast on the boards, 21 rebounds, including 8 offensive, and the Hawks out-rebounded the Heat 63-39. to Yeah, that's insane. Uh, The Heat, known for their toughness, and certainly they have a... uh, you know, size and length disadvantage against the Hawks, but the uh, the fact that the Hawks seemingly got every loose ball in this game, and then just dominated in the paint and dominated the offensive glass led by Capella, pretty amazing. And the only reason this game was somewhat competitive is that Kyle Lowry had his best game as a Miami Heat. Uh, he was tremendous, had over 30 points by the end of the game, but. Uh, this game was really surprising to me, not necessarily, you know, that the I, I was surprised the Hawks won, but just the way that they physically dominated the game was really surprising to me. Yeah, uh, you know, along those lines, uh, the inside the NBA crew was talking about uh, just the this game, and Charles Barkley started talking about how the Heat were going to be pushing the Celtics, so already getting past the Hawks, and then he kind of jokingly bet uh, Shaq a billion dollars that uh, the Heat were going to beat the Hawks because the Hawks stink. Uh, but yeah, I think that the just we talked about this that the Heat have that sort of physicality and we brought it up as well just about how the Celtics probably wouldn't want to face the heat because of Spolstra because of Jimmy Butler because of the way that they could try to muck things up but they didn't come out with any energy or any intensity yesterday against the Hawks and a team that they've had success against previously. That's true. And uh yeah Butler that was you know I know this wasn't a playoff game. Uh, but it was a big game, and uh, he was bad. 
Uh, he had lots of easy layups and plays at the rim that he did not convert. And uh, that's uh, usually the bigger the game or the more important the game, the better he is. And that's been his career, no matter where, the, where you know, whether he's in, see if I can get all these teams right, Chicago, Minnesota, Philadelphia, or Miami. Uh, the bigger the game or more important the game, the better he's been most of the time. And, uh, you know, I actually thought he came out aggressive, but it was just amazing how many you know, point-blank misses that he had in this game. Uh, definitely. I mean, he's known as Jimmy Buckets, right? Yeah, among other things, and a couple of his witty commercials. <laughs> so, because of this outcome, the Hawks are now the seven seed, and they will face the Celtics in round one. First game is Saturday, 12.30 p.m. The Heat will await the winner of tonight's Bulls and Raptors game, and they'll play on Friday to see who advances to play the Bucks. A little bit on the Hawks and the Celtics here. We were just talking about how uh, the, the matchup between the Celtics and the Heat could really kind of push the Celtics can the Hawks now uh push the Celtics and is there maybe a little bit more of an advantage because of Quinn Snyder now as the head coach yeah they're only one game above 500 at least in, during the regular season with him after he replaced Nate McMillan and uh yeah they play totally different uh which I think benefited them last night you know I think the most people thought the Hawks should have played faster when McMillan was there but that's not his nature so they didn't, but they certainly pushed the pace yesterday. And when you're able to rebound, you know, like they did yesterday at both ends of the floor, you're able to push the pace. As we continue on from the games last night, the Lakers needed overtime to beat the Timberwolves 108-102. to Bob had a really good conversation with Harrison Fagan, Silver Screen and Roll, about the Lakers. If you missed it, podcast over at kdos1060.com with the KDOS 1060 app or on Apple and Spotify. So when it comes to the Lakers, though, uh, the Timberwolves, they didn't have Rudy Gobert. He's serving his one-game suspension. They didn't have Jaden McDaniels uh, with his broken hand. Carl Anthony Towns. He scored 24 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, but was in foul trouble with 5. Mike Connolly, 23 points, 6 of 8 from 3, including the 3 free throws made with almost no time left to force overtime on a really dumb Anthony Davis foul. LeBron James, 30 points, 12 of 21, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. Anthony Davis there, 24 points, 15 boards. And Dennis Schroeder, almost the hero, 21 points, including what could have been the game-winning three if AD didn't foul Connolly. Yeah, Schroeder really had some good moments. You know, he went down the first half with looked like not a good leg injury, but uh, yeah, he played some excellent defense in that game too. So uh, we'll see how that goes. And you know, one of the things we talked about Harrison Fagan with is how do they try to check John Morant in the next series, and Schroeder might actually be their best option, uh, along with Vanderbilt. But yeah, you know, Schroeder, you know, he's, he was he was very good uh, last night. This is a weird game, even by NBA standards, uh, with some ebbs and flows, which happens in every NBA game. But uh, you know, they had a 14 to two. They being the Timberwolves, a 14 to two run at the end of the first half. They ended up uh, leading 60 to 49 at that point. They were actually up 76 to 61. You can all do the math. They didn't score much after that, and uh, you know the you know some of the just not high IQ fouls from Carl Anthony Towns, and even though I do think his fourth foul should have been a LeBron charge, 
but you know, fouls three and and uh, five were just stupid plays by an experienced player who should know better. And in addition to not having obviously Gobert and McDaniel's, Nas Reed was also out, and he's a very important player for Minnesota. He's been injured. He got hurt here uh, like a couple weeks ago and hasn't played since. And in addition to all that, uh, you know, Anthony Edwards was like missing in action. He was like, you know, two or three for a hundred from the field. He was terrible. And uh, still the Lakers, you know, barely won and they had to win in overtime with all those things going against Minnesota. Yeah, that has me a little bit scratching my head about this Lakers team, especially since people, uh, you know, really thought that they're since the trade and everybody coming back healthy that this is a much better team now and that uh, they could certainly catch some people by surprise and that fourth quarter was just kind of clank 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 and the overtime wasn't a whole lot better I know social media was in an uproar about uh, fouls being called helping the Lakers were you as upset about these fouls being called that quote-unquote helped the Lakers get back into the game I thought the one was the the fourth foul on you know Carl Anthony Towns was just ridiculously bad, and that was a, a play that should have been a, a LeBron foul for sure, and that could have changed the game because even when Carl Anthony Towns came back off the bench, he clearly uh, was concerned about getting a charging foul at that point, and uh, he he completely lost his aggressiveness uh, and so forth at the offensive end especially. And uh, that I think that made a big difference in the game. Uh, that's the one foul that I remember off the top of my head that kind of went. I thought that was just a terrible call, uh, and that, I think that that actually really kind of changed the way the game was played the rest of the way. Uh, so then you have the Lakers advancing as the seven seed, and they will play the Grizzlies in round one Sunday at 12 p.m. The Timberwolves will await the winner of tonight's. Thunder and Pelicans contest and compete for the eighth seed on Friday. So when it comes to the Lakers and the Grizzlies here, you touched a little bit on how maybe Dennis Schroeder could have a massive role uh, trying to check John Morant, but how helpful is it that Steven Adams won't be out there for the Grizzlies for the Lakers? Yeah, they've actually, they're down a couple big guys. Uh, so it seems to be not a good matchup in that area for, uh, for the Lakers. You mentioned, uh, you're scratching your head a little bit. I understand that regarding the Lakers. Uh, you know, they, uh, I think 10 out of 13 they'd won before last night. So I guess it's, you know, 11 out of, you know, 14 or whatever now. But uh, I just don't think they're that good. <laughs> um, so I think that this is kind of when I've watched it, you know, every second of every Lakers game this season, but I seem like I've watched more of them than other teams. And I've never really thought at any point this season that they're all that good. And also, I know LeBron had 100 points last night, but I thought he didn't play great. Um, you know, I you know, would have never guessed that he'd be like 30 points or somewhere in that ballpark last night. Uh, and you know, also, his defense is really, really, you know, diminished in uh, you know, the last year or so, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, he didn't have an overall great game. Certainly 30 points is a little surprising to see that on the stat sheet there. Uh, yeah, I know that the, the foot thing has just been weird, uh, that obviously he was out and now he's fine, but maybe it is a, a bothersome for him. And so he's trying to kind of pick and choose where and when he's more I- explosive, even on the offense and defensive side of the ball. 
He had some really strange decisions, too. Yeah, they tried to throw the game away, and he tried to throw the game away a couple of times at the end of regulation and in overtime. I mean, what are they thinking? What is he thinking? I mean, I just didn't understand, uh, you know, a couple of the inbounds plays. That's not necessarily all his fault, but he's the one that's you know, trying to execute the inbounds play. And it was just, it was just a weird game in all facets. We'll get into much more around the play-in games with tonight's games. Bulls, Raptors, Thunders, Pelicans. We'll talk about that next. We'll also make room for you. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in. Call now. We'll get to you in the next segment. We do know that the Phoenix Suns have a time for Sunday's contest hosting the Clippers. That'll be a 5 o'clock start on Sunday. A game being carried on TNT as well as Bally Sports Arizona. NBA playoff discussion, and I should say NBA play-in discussion on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. downloaded the KTUS 1060 app yet? Download today and get all of your favorite local and national shows right on your phone. Ten thirty nine here on KDOS AM ten sixty online at KDOS ten sixty dot com and with the KDOS ten sixty app powered by Superbook Sports. Download the app today. Register. And take advantage of the listener rewards available to you. Follow along with the instructions. That's KDOS 1060's app powered by Superbook Sports. As we get into tonight's NBA games, let's start with the Bulls and the Raptors. This number from the FanDuel Sportsbook app is Bulls plus five and a half, Raptors minus five and a half. I'm not sure that this means a whole lot, but I'll give the statistic here anyway, that the Raptors did beat the Bulls two of three this this uh, this season in the regular season. The Bulls allowed the fewest points per 100 possessions after the All-Star break. The Bulls talked about this a little bit this week, but they don't shoot or make many threes. They certainly capitalize on the mid-range jumpers at 46.7% of the time. DeMar DeRozan has a large part to do with that. And the Raptors, though, from their side of things, they're a much better rebounding team. Toronto ranks fifth in defense after the All-Star break as well. Yeah, they're definitely good in that area, led by uh, Jakob Pertl. I haven't said that name in a while, my guy. From back in the Utah days, uh, he's been a – actually, he's an offensive rebounding machine, that dude, uh, this particular year at least. I think this the, the, the difference should be if you just go by the regular season, which is maybe a mistake. But, uh, you know, they're really good at home, and they've been really bad on the road. But I believe I said something similar uh, yesterday about the Hawks on the road. So how'd that go for me? Uh yeah, I didn't have any money on that game, thankfully, yesterday. But if I would have had money on that game, I would have been on the wrong side for sure. Yeah, uh, certainly the home and the road. You know what? Because the way that this NBA regular season has gone, I don't know that I personally, and I don't know how you feel about this, so I guess I'm going to ask you, feel being confident about really understanding what we can expect in these playoffs. 
Yeah, I don't know either. I'm kind of with you. Um, you know, a couple things. I don't watch nearly as much of the Eastern Conference as I do the West. Obviously, the Suns in the West, we see these teams more often. But uh, the, I do think that it did get my attention immediately that you know, Toronto, they won 27 games at home and 14 on the road. So I think playing at home should mean a lot for them. The Bulls just have too many players that uh, historically, including Zach Levine, who leads them in scoring this year, I just don't trust these guys from game to game. And they've uh, been inconsistent throughout their careers. It's not like either of these teams are sailing in on a hot note either. They both basically won six of their last ten games in the regular season. So not much to offer other than the fact that, at least statistically speaking, it seems like the Raptors uh, having the home game is a big deal. I don't know if the Nick Nurse situation, out of uh, I actually think that is the best term, just use the word situation because I don't know exactly. I don't know if anybody really knows what his situation is. Other than the fact that he's apparently not going to be in Toronto next year, but I don't know if that matters in the postseason like right now. Yeah, I was going to bring that up that when it comes to, I guess, question marks surrounding the Toronto Raptors team, is there maybe just the way that the regular season ended? We also had the statement from Nick Nurse that he did say that he's going to take time to evaluate everything. There has been links to uh, the Houston Rockets position now that that's vacant. Uh, so just whether or not everyone's just kind of done with the season and if that uh, is true, how much energy, effort, etc. is going to be on display tonight. Night. And then you also have Fred Van Fleet, Gary Trent Jr., as they all have player options at the end of this season and uh, certainly have been involved in trade rumor discussions prior to the trade deadline. Yeah, don't, don't. I think that's a really good point you bring up about the free agents. They've got like five guys that are eligible to become free agents, or rotation players. Uh, so I have no idea. It seems like uh, everybody's an official or unofficial free agent that's involved in Toronto. When it comes to the Bulls side of things, this has nothing to do with tonight's game, but just kind of general discussion that they only got 35 games from Lonzo Ball in the 2021-2022 season. He hasn't played this year for them. Uh, He does need another knee surgery. It's sad to see how his career has unfolded with all of these different Mm -hmm. knee surgeries and injuries. And, you know, certainly he uh, had a ton of talent. We knew what he was capable of doing as a facilitator with his time at UCLA, maybe being drafted to the Lakers with his dad and just kind of the showtime and and everything that is expected to come along with that wasn't a great place for him to go. So being able to get away from all of that was probably good for his career. Uh, But we haven't really been able to see what he's actually capable of doing because of all of these injuries. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think he was known more for his ball skills when he was at UCLA, especially his passing. But he, you know, before the, the 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 current injury situation, he'd become a really good defender. Uh, maybe um, you know, I don't know maybe he was at UCLA, but I don't think so. Maybe he just wasn't a big priority before Mick Cronin got there. He was that was long before Mick Cronin got there. Now you don't play for UCLA if you don't guard people. 
Moving into the other game for tonight, it is the Thunder. It is the Pelicans. Thunder plus five and a half. Pelicans minus five and a half. It is one of our poll questions today, so we'll save our direct answer for later on in the show. But again, I don't know if this matters a whole lot. The Pelicans did go three and one against the Thunder in the regular season. Rebounding could be a factor. The Thunder ranked 28th in defensive rebound rate, while the Pelicans ranked 10th in offensive rebound rate. Uh, How big of a night could Shea Gildas Alexander have? Have, especially getting some of the Pelicans into foul trouble if he's attacking the paint, which he does really well. Uh, the Pelicans are coming off a game in which they lost, and their opponent happened to be the Timberwolves, who were self-destructing on their own, punching teammates, punching walls, and the Pelicans ended up losing that game. They'll continue to be without Zion, uh, and the Pelicans have to be rather disappointed about that because Zion has said he's physically fine, but he won't return until he feels like Zion again adding that that means he goes to make certain moves and he has hesitation. So he's just kind of mentally not ready to go. Yeah, it's unfortunate uh, for everybody involved, including Zion, obviously. But, uh, you know, I don't know what to think about that. And also really don't know how to break down this regular season series because, you know, these teams have a little different look, both of them. I will say one thing, though, is, you know, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, is somebody I've talked about on this, uh, you know, our, on this station since when he was at Kentucky. Loved him then. Uh, trying to just wanted the, the Suns to try to figure out a way to get him. Obviously, that didn't happen. He's tremendous. I will say that Brandon Ingram. He's been incredible here lately. He's averaged almost 30 points a game in the last 10. And this is a dude I was totally wrong about. Uh, you know, you know, I don't admit those things too often, uh, but I thought he was an okay player at Duke. Thought he was an okay player with the Lakers, maybe even a little less than okay with the Lakers. I could have never imagined that he'd be this good in the NBA. I was so excited for this Pelicans team. This was the one. Um a uh, preseason NBA bet I had with the win totals because of Brandon Ingram's development. He had CJ McCollum, what they showed, uh, you know, in that playoff series against the Suns, and if Zion could have been healthy, and, you know, those were always question marks, but I thought that they had enough pieces around them, even if Zion was going to be missing some games, to be a little bit better than what they were. So to me, the Pelicans have been a bit of a disappointment, but maybe I just had uh, rose colored goggles heading into the season so my disappointment isn't warranted yeah i understand but you know i would have had a difficult time betting any future bet that involves zion because i just can't uh, trust him ever staying healthy and i'm not the only person but you know a lot of people uh, including myself questioned whether he was ever going to before he even played a game in the NBA, whether he'd be able to you know, endure the wear and tear of the NBA. Going back to Brandon Ingram, as you mentioned, he's been really good. So can Lou Dort slow him down? I'm sure that's the plan. <laughs> I'm not real sure what the regular season numbers are as far as you know, Ingram against the Pelicans, but I, I would I just, yeah, we've seen, it seems like the Suns played the Pelicans like every other game in the last month. But uh, we've seen plenty of the plenty. Excuse me, the uh, Thunder of yes, the last the month. Thunder. Seems like we've seen. Seems like we've seen a lot of them. I, I can't imagine any other oper- You know, any possibility that Dort wouldn't be the first guy on Ingram. 
We'll get into this question a little bit more in the show later on, as it is uh, the Twitter poll question at KDOS AM 1060. Still time to cast your vote, and we'll answer that around 1130. But on the other side of the break, the PGA Tour doesn't stop going to the RBC Heritage in uh Playing another Pete Dye golf course, Harbor Town, par 71, 7,121 yards, and they made it an elevated event. So the top guys are in tow. Some have never actually played this event. So we'll dive into what to do for this week's PGA Tour event next, right here on KDUS AM 1060. Gottlieb Show, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. Point on this Wednesday, April 12th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. You can always follow along with us online at kdos1060.com or with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Well, Bob, the PGA Tour went 130 miles down the road from Augusta, Georgia, playing its traditional spots, the RBC Heritage at the Pete Dye Designed Golf Course, Harbortown Golf Links, par 71, 7,121 yards in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Have you ever been to Hilton Head? I've never been to South Carolina, to my recollection. I have friends that live in the Carolinas, and they all seem to think it's a wonderful place. And uh, maybe I should, I better hurry up, but maybe I should do that soon. But uh, don't think I've ever been to, I've been to Charlotte once, but yeah, the Carolinas uh, did not uh, venture into that area before. I've never, or I've never been to Hilton Head. I've heard tremendous things about it, though. I have been to North Carolina, so we'll have to see about a, an adventure to Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. But when it comes to trying to figure out what to do for this event on the PGA Tour here, as I mentioned, it is an elevated event, so that means you have the top players in the world yet again teeing it up. Uh, Rory McIlroy has withdrawn but masters champion john rom is in the field you have jordan spieth as the defending champion he outlasted patrick cantley in a playoff last year they're both back scotty scheffler's in the field as well as we dissect this golf course it has really small greens if not the smallest greens on the pga tour they are second or third in uh the measurements for how small these greens are for what the guys are going to play so i think we're going to want to look into players that have good strokes gained approach strokes gained uh, tee to green as well as driving accuracy however the thing about this is that it's such a positional type golf course that it's going to take driver out of many players hands but it could still be an advantage to longer hitters they're not going to be hitting driver they're going to be hitting less than driver but if they're managing to keep the ball in play then they still have a shorter iron coming in just because of the the advantage they have at being a longer hitter. As you look at the top of the board with the FanDuel Sportsbook app, you have Scotty Scheffler at plus 850. 
Scotty, goodness gracious, he gained 11.50 strokes ball striking last week, but lost nearly four strokes putting at Augusta. So yet again, he's continuing to play really solid golf, tee to green. Uh, and, and if he can just gain, you know, half a stroke putting, he's like right in the thick of things to go ahead and win the golf uh, golf tournament. He has never previously played here, so I don't know how much of a factor that's going to be to to have some strong course history. It seems like guys who have played well here continue to play well here. John Rom, he's also top of the board, plus 850. My concerns about John Rom has nothing to do with how his golf game is playing. He put on a clinic last week, ball striking, gaining 12.33 strokes, but is there a little bit of a letdown after winning the Masters? This is yet another quote-unquote elevated event but you have just achieved a lifetime dream it's hard not to have a little letdown factors there so I'm staying away from the top of the board and where I'm going is Patrick Cantlay at 11 to 1 he's dialed in his ball striking he has lost strokes putting in his last two tournaments but he's not typically a bad putter so I, I think that things are have the chance here to turn around for him he has good course history in 2022 he finished second 2019 he finished tied for third and 2018 a tie for seventh I'm also going Colin Morikawa at 18 to one he finished tied for 10th at the Masters he's an elite iron player so strokes gained on approach he's accurate off the tee Uh, as I mentioned strokes gained approach in this field he actually ranks second so I like his game being well-rounded for this place and then I'm going to keep riding Cam Young here at 20 to one he is playing really good golf with his new caddy Paul Tesoro runner-up at the match play, tied for seventh at the Masters. There's just too much talent here for him, and now maybe he has that person on the bag with him to make some better course management decisions. He also finished tied for third last year as a rookie, so at some point Cam Young is going to break out, and I want to be on it. Matt Kuchar, top 30 at plus 115 in this field. I don't think he can win, but he has had plenty of success at this tournament. Uh, tied for third last year, 2021, tied for 18th, 2019, second, 2018, tied for 23rd, 2017, tied for 11th. He's playing really good golf heading into this as well. Shane Lowry, top 30, plus 105. He's been a bit inconsistent this season, but he played well at Augusta, and he has great course history here. 2022, tied for third. 2021, tied for ninth. And 2019, tied for third. And my long shot is Sam Stevens, top 40 at plus 200. This is his first elevated event as a rookie. In his previous starts, though, he has finished second and tied for third. So we'll see how he does uh, in his first elevated event as a rookie. But all of this is coming to you from our friends from Putting World. They're located in Scottsdale, 16259 North Scottsdale Road. They're open Sunday through Thursday, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And Friday and Saturday, 10 a.m. to midnight. Great food and drinks at Bar 19. You can get help with your putting stroke. You can get fit to have the right putter with performance studios and all the technology and coaches you could imagine. But also the heat. It's coming. So let's get out of the heat. Enjoy some bragging rights with friends and family at the Putting World uh, 18-hole putting green contest. Plenty of fun. Check them out at puttingworld.com. Hour number two of Extra Point is coming up next on the other side of the break. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you.